Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Hi, this is Mike with Rogue Media Network. As Texas opens back up, some of our shows have chosen to continue to record from remote locations. Some of our other shows have started recording in studio with very few people observing social distancing. Thanks for listening, and please be safe. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us on Tragedy Plus Time. Everything's fine. I am your host, Summershine. This is a Rogue Media Network production. On this podcast, we're going to explore the deep wounds of tragedy, the way folks just like you survived said tragedy, and the nuances that we reflect on that now make us laugh. We're going to laugh, we're going to cry, and we're going to hear stories of profound survival, even when it didn't seem like it was possible. Sit back, buckle up, and get ready for the ride. Welcome to Tragedy Plus Time, Everything's Fine. I am your co-host, Summer Shine. You heard me right. I said that I am a co-host, and we are starting off season two with a bang. Um, I'm so excited to introduce Chrissy Rivers. Hey, everybody, that's me. (laughs) She is my official co-host starting season two, and We are taking this thing up a notch and doing a little bit more, bringing you guys a little bit of excitement. Chrissy's going to bring a new flavor to the podcast, and we're going to be talking a lot more about recovery this season, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I am too. We've actually got some people lined up that are, um, we're going to talk about recovery and um, just the way that that intersects people's lives and um, how they get through it. So yeah, I'm pretty excited fun. about it. Yeah. So today we thought actually Chrissy and I, as we were talking about season two, thought that um, it would be really cool to bring you guys a glimpse of what we, who we are, who Chrissy is and who I am. And so we're going to start off the first two episodes of this, de- this season with our stories which is super exciting. So we're going to tell the story of Chrissy today. And uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. And you're going to see why I chose her as a co-host. She's awesome. And I love her. Um, So Chrissy and I have been in the same circle of friends for, gosh, I don't know, 10 years? Yeah, a long time, but we didn't know each other. 
We did not. Um, we actually met a year and a half ago. Yes. Although I knew who you were. In all fairness, <laughs> I knew who you were long before maybe you knew who I was. Well, I didn't know who you were. I just didn't necessarily. I knew who you were, but I didn't know who you were. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're dancing around a subject that we're not willing to talk about. So Exactly. Christy and I have run in the same circles for the last 10 years, but we were just able to become friends about a year and a half ago. And it was through some adversity. I mean, it's not like um, we had a weird situation going on where we had dated the same person and um, we ended up becoming friends and people don't always do those kinds of things. They don't always become friends after dating the same person, but we did. Summer does, but summer does. <laughs> if it, if, let's be real. If it was up to me, I'd be like, no, no, I, I can't do it. But you called me and you made me your friend and I am forever grateful for it. Cause that's who you are, you know? <laughs> Last yeah. weekend, Christy said, uh, you have a lot of really weird relationships. I'm like, yeah, it's, it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. So, um, yeah, and I've been really grateful to get to know Christy. Um, she's been a light in my life, and we're going to hear all about her today. So, are you ready, Christy? I think so. I mean, I think we I should tell the people who you are. All right. Uh, um, well, I don't know where exactly to start. Um, I, uh, I have been sober. I'm in recovery also. I've been clean and sober since um, February of 2008. Um, but that was not my first rodeo with recovery um, or even my second or third, really. I went to several treatment centers in my youth and adolescence. Um, although, you know, when you're that young, I didn't really think of it as, as a real shot at recovery. It was like, they put me here you know, to, and uh, until I act right. And at no point in that time from like 11 to 27, did I really think about getting sober or, you know, not drinking or using drugs anymore, you know? Um, totally. When I was younger and I went to treatment, I just learned more about drugs. Like my, yeah. I got treatment because I got caught smoking weed. And really I learned like, oh, there's cocaine. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I met yeah. a really cute boy. In, you know, my second treatment center and, you know, I learned what uh, rehab love can look like. I learned how to make out on top of the dryers in the laundry area, you know, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really learn anything about staying sober. I did pick up um, some interest in Alateen, which is kind of strange because I, you know, I come from a family full of drunks and, um, and drug addicts and, uh, and so I knew they were my problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I was perfectly willing to go and sit in a room of Alateen and talk about how my family was my problem you know I did that for several years actually but uh you know never with any interest in you know crossing over and going to like a a room where I was supposed to get clean you know yeah totally so do, tell us more about like um your childhood growing up Oh gosh. Okay. So I, uh, I grew up in Dallas. I um, am the oldest of four. I, um, I think probably the most poignant parts of my youth are that um, at six years old, I found out that I was black. <laughs> I just, I just didn't know. Wait, 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 wait. You have to explain this a little bit. <laughs> you didn't know you were black? 
no, no one in my family was black. And so, you know, you just are who you are around. And so I didn't, I didn't really understand the differentiation between, you know, me and them. Um, until I went to school and then kids started asking some questions, you know, like, are you adopted? And who are they? Um, like, that's not your mom. That can't be your mom. Right. Um, so after a couple of months of that and some frustration, my mom read a Reader's Digest article and, uh, and it said, I think it was Reader Di Reader's Digest, some 80s magazine, you know, and it said, don't lie to your kids, right? Tell them the truth. So I came home from school and was, you know, asking questions about why do they keep saying I'm adopted? And, um, and she told me that there was, that I was the product of rape, that I was African American and that I, uh, and there was no Santa Claus and no Easter Bunny. <laughs> oh, you got all this news in one day. Yeah, like, let's just lay it all out there, you know? Um, oh. So were you time. aware were you aware what rape was at the time? No. I, no. You know, once you know, you don't unknow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, and uh, I guess I'll I've learned I've learned a lot about that experience even recently. I think you and I talked about this not too long ago, but um I think what I heard that day is not what was said, but what I heard was we love you no matter what and um and now I truly believe that that no matter what that we put on the end of hard things from the people that we love it sort of quantified my value for me that i was not as valuable as the rest of of, of everyone you know my family um and i and i really carried that with me for a long time because it wasn't i love you period it was i love you but yes. i love you in spite of exactly the gotcha. same way if your kid you know um does something bad at school you know gets in trouble i love you no matter what you know and i honestly think that that's affected me until today so that's probably the biggest piece of my my youth I, i'm the oldest of uh, four kids and my mom and my stepdad you know they had three more and then their marriage fell apart when i was um 15 and um my stepdad left i started drinking and drugging when i was 11 i should say that um and i think i think that was sort of a byproduct of I don't know how to deal with who I am. I don't really fit anywhere, you know? Or maybe it's just genetics. Nobody really knows, you know? Um, but I know that I was constantly searching for a way to feel better about me. So uh, fast forward, I'm, I'm drinking and using almost daily from 12. And um, at 15, my parents got divorced and, um, I won't, I don't want to, you know, talk too much about them because, you know, because um, my mom listens to all this stuff. <laughs> I can't do anything that she doesn't click on. And, you know, there's really no way to tiptoe around any of it. So, you know, you got to preserve your parents' feelings, right? But, um, uh, so they split up and I was on my own, you know, at 16 was kind of in and out of different places at, uh, there, there were a lot of people around who took me in and I slept on their couches. And then there were a lot of, uh, a lot of times where I didn't have anywhere to go and, you know, would sleep on the street. When I stumbled upon the world of gentlemen's clubs at 18, it only made sense to, you know, get in there and earn a living. I mean, I know that you can relate to this, right? 100%. Like, what's a better way to earn an income when you are a, when you're dependent on alcohol 
and drugs, you know. I was addicted to heroin for several years. And strangely, when I got off heroin, um, it was because I picked up meth. I detoxed hardcore and, and then started smoking meth. So when I was working in gentlemen's clubs, I was really more of a meth user and a, a coke More addict. conducive with that lifestyle, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He you fell know. asleep in his lap. Because <laughs> <laughs> he won't, that girl. <laughs> and he won't pay you, let's be real. <laughs> People steal your money. <laughs> you you got to be awake and aware if you're going to Yeah, get, you do. You know? <laughs> so, um, and I got pregnant with my son then. And, um, you know, the, the next couple of years were after my son was born, um, I stopped working in clubs and had a, a real job in the apartment business. And, uh, you know, I started stealing and stuff. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, here actually, but you know, it was it was a long time ago. It was a very long time ago. I I taught myself at one point on meth how to wash money orders. Okay. You know, because I was getting paid by money orders for apartments. Correct. <laughs> right. So this was all of this money that I could take and stay high, and so that's what I did until I got fired. And um, getting fired and being homeless again with a kid really propelled me into recovery, like that was such a bottom that I really didn't have much choice. That's not true. I had a choice, right? I was in the car right before I decided to go to treatment for real. And I was leaving town. I was gonna leave my kid. I was so dependent on substance, you know, that it, nothing else mattered. I knew that I knew that my life was falling apart and I knew that I needed to get clean, but it didn't matter because I couldn't stop. I had tried. And so the only thing that felt logical in this dysfunctional mind of mine was to just keep driving until I figured out how to stay high and someone else would take care of my child and my responsibilities. I think that the only thing that stopped me was the fact that that had been done to me. I had been left. I knew what it, I knew what it meant to feel abandoned and I couldn't do that to the person that I loved the most in the world, you know? So I turned around and uh, the next day I went to treatment here in Dallas and that's pretty much how I got into recovery. And I feel like all of that stuff, all the, all the stories from the strip club and, um, and outside the strip club, like the, the moments that are the worst, memories are the most useful tools in my toolkit today. Right? Absolutely. Oh, I, I could not agree with you more. The things that hurt the most are the ways that I help the most people mm -hmm. every, every day almost, which is kind of this weird dichotomy of knowing that uh, the pain, the thing that was the most painful is also the most productive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to explain to somebody who's new in recovery, like those, these things that you're telling me about, the, the things that you're crying about every night right now are going to be the things that make you stronger and help somebody else later. And, yeah. and nobody believes it. Absolutely. No, they, yeah, they don't in the beginning. But when you start to hear people's stories, you know, and re you can relate somehow, I think it starts to click. You know what I mean? That like, wow, this, for instance, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm in a program. I don't know if I said that here, but I'm in a 12-step program and I have a sponsor and each sponsor that I've ever 
had it throughout recovery. There have been a few, but each of them, it's been because that woman had some part of her story that I identified with and I could hear myself and I, but I could also could see her on the other side of this stuff that she was talking about. There's always been something that's like, oh man, I can't seem to move beyond this pain. And I think this person might be, you know, a good, a good helper, a good guide or mentor along the way. So and I they managed to stack up some sobriety. They've managed to stay sober for some amount of time. Yes. Is, and seem kind of happy about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So I guess the only other thing that maybe is really interesting about my story is probably that um, I started singing. I've been singing all of my life. As a kid, it was like, I just wanted to be Whitney Houston and I would write her (laughs) fan letters. And that crackhead never wrote me back. (laughs) Listen, did you know that I have a whole comedy, I have like an entire comedy routine, 15 minutes that's just about Whitney Houston. Did you know this? The whole sober party girl was started because of Whitney Houston. Crack it back. Oh my God. I'll I'll do it the next time we're together. <laughs> You're gonna have to. We're just we're just like two peas in a pod. Girl, I rode it on a bus in New Orleans and I'll tell you what, those people in New Orleans didn't think that my jokes about Whitney Houston were funny. <laughs> oh. They did not. Ooh. Yeah, you better pick your audience. <laughs> yeah, that was a loyal crowd. That bus. That bus was a loyal, loyal fan base. I, when she died, I was sitting in a Black Eyed Pea with my son having dinner, and it came across the TV, and I cried in the booth in public, openly wept, because her music meant so much to me. As a, as a young Black girl, there were not, in the 80s, there were not a lot of Black icons to look up to. And Not she, a lot of representation at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she was, you know, just so talented. And I, I just wanted, I wanted to be her for, you know, most of my life. And, but when I got, when I started using drugs and stuff, it was like singing didn't even register. 
you know, once from about the time that I was maybe 13 or 14 and got really invested in drugs and alcohol and men, I had enough to occupy my mind. So I stopped singing for a long time. Cause also let's talk about, at, maybe not at length today, but at some point, I mean, sex and men are as addictive as any drug you can put in your body. And when you're, <laughs> when your mind is not right, and you find the right man to be addicted to. I mean, I have spiraled out of control, stone cold sober. Over Amen. <laughs> I mean, we just did we just spend the weekend together because of this. I mean, come on. <laughs> I was like, just you have to come to your house. So I don't know. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I swear. I, as I started saying that, I was like, gosh, she's gonna think I'm calling her out. I'm <laughs> That wasn't the point. <laughs> I'm just saying, I can relate. I can relate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're tough. Just love is a drug on its own, you know? So I just had plenty to occupy my mind. Um, when I got sober, for real, I wanted to go back to church. I really wanted to have a relationship with God. Spirituality is really important to me, and I think to most people who have a, uh, you know, a, a recovery that you want to admire. It's usually, it's usually pretty steeped in some kind of relationship with a higher power. And uh, I didn't know anything about, about church or um, the Bible or anything like that. But I was ended all my prayers with, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So I thought, well, I should probably go to church. Like, let's explore this. And I walked into a mega church and the pastor, the, I liked the pastor, but the um, worship leader was electric and it was like wow oh i want to sing you know and it just overwhelmed me so i asked him if i could audition when i saw him standing at the door one day which was a kind of a god deal on all in itself because he shouldn't have been standing there and i asked him can i audition he said yeah we actually have them coming up in just a couple weeks and when i I know it was very cool. That is so cool. Yeah, because it was like seconds before service. And you know, those mega churches are massive. And I don't know how he was at the front door when he should have been backstage, but it felt like divinely inspired at the time. Yeah. And then I showed up and I auditioned and they liked my voice and they said, well, tell us about your relationship with Jesus. And I, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Because I thought that that was it. Like, you know, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know anything about that guy, you know, except like the Christmas stuff and Easter stuff. And, um, but it wasn't, they, I think they liked that, that I didn't have, you know, sometimes you want someone without experience so that you can teach them what you think is the right way. Right. Right. <laughs> Which is a weird thing probably to say about church, but, um, you know, it applies to most places where you're going to train or orient people to anything. So I joined their worship team and started singing and, um, and it kind of took off for me. And I've had some really cool experiences um, over the last couple years musically. Made a lot of really great mu musical friends and even um, because of that experience joined the board of City House which was one of the shelters I lived in as a teen. Hold on. Can we talk about how incredibly special this is? So you're a homeless teenager whenever you're 16 years old, 
And mm -hmm. eventually you land in a place called City House, which by the way, they call the shelter my friend's house so that kids don't have to say, I'm staying at a shelter. They can say without lying, I'm staying at my friend's house so that there's no shame in it. And now you sit on the board of directors at that shelter. Yeah. Take a second. Cause God's good. God it, is good. It came back full circle. One weekend I was leading worship at that church and they were giving out donations and the, the, I forget what executive director, I think is her title. I can't ever remember, but she was there and she, I said, city house was there for me as a teen. And I'm, super appreciative of it. Actually, I had lived in both shelters that were receiving checks that day, which was really weird, but also Samaritan Inn. But so I told her that she puts my name on a cork board and she um, left it there for like three years. And then they were looking for someone to sing at their gala. And she called me and said, hey, would you like to sing a song at our gala? And I was like, for sure. And um, there's also a, a, one, a kid, Ron Boltongas, who was on American Idol, who lived at the shelter. And so we got up and we sang a song together that night uh, at the gala. And then the next year it was like, hey, do you want to do that again? And also, would you like to join the board as kind of an honorary member? So now I get to be a voice of an actual past client, which is so super cool. It totally, totally is. That is like one of my favorite things about you. I mean, I love so much about you, but that is one of my favorite things. It's a pretty cool story, you know? It I really mean, is. Most, yeah. most of the time, if you don't have some kind of dramatic experience, it's really hard to turn homelessness and drug addiction into an asset because you can't do it. You can't do it. You have to, you have to be surrendered enough to let it happen. Totally. Um, while we're sitting here talking about it, where can people find out more information about City House? Uh, at cityhouse.org. Okay. Cityhouse.org. Um, you can also look up City House Plano on Facebook. There's a lot of information there. And um, the Instagram is pretty active also. So it's City House, all one word, on Instagram. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that. That is so cool. I am really grateful for you. Yeah, I think yeah. that season two is going to be spectacular. And I'm glad that we started it with you. Oh, what, thanks. What better way than to start season two than with your episode? Yeah. So you guys know who I am. And, um, you know, my story is probably not as uh, compelling as some others, but I like this conversation. And so. Wait, wait, wait. Did you just say it's not as compelling? So like from homeless, drug addicted teenager to like, worship leader been, can we just talk about that you've been in the same industry for the same like job for 20 years yeah right i mean so to go from that to that's pretty compelling to me i mean from this seat right here you have a pretty compelling story thank you well you know that's never very interesting when you've lived it all but um but i i do think that you know, each of us have come a long, long way. And I like to think that telling the parts of, for both of us, telling the parts of our stories where, you know, we were hoeing. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did I say hoeing? <laughs> we did. That's, I think that's the uh, politically correct term for that. So thank you. 
for <laughs> you know what though a lot of people aren't okay with talking about it and it's one of the things that i always say is that man it's one it's the place to be bold right there because it, it a lot of women who've been through what we've been through mm -hmm. um have resorted that's the that's the resort so i think you got to be willing to talk about sex you got to be willing to talk about money you know yes because yes we are sensitive about those things, but those things drive our decisions. You got to be willing to open up conversation in both of those areas because those are the places where people die. Yeah. Well, thank you for being so open and thanks for telling us all about you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I can't wait to, I shouldn't say thanks for having me, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And thanks to everyone for tuning in today. We really appreciate um, you listening in. If you like what you heard, please hit the subscribe button. And just a shout out, of course, to Rogue Media Network. They have been um, so gracious as to produce um, season one and all of our shenanigans from the past few months have been because of them. So huge shout out to them and check out their other podcasts. They've got a lot of great stuff on their network. And then tune in to season two. It's going to be a wild ride. We've got some really cool guests coming up um, in season two. So we look forward to seeing you guys. Boop, boop. All right. Adios. Bye. Guys, thanks again for listening. You are amazing. This show is nothing without your support. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, please hit the subscribe button and show us some love. My name is Summer Shine. You can find me on all the social meds or check out my website at summershinespeaks.com to hear more about what's going on in my world. A huge shout out to Rogue Media Network for all their time, love, and support. Wouldn't even be a thing without these guys. Make sure you check out their other shows and tune in again next week. A special thanks to Fish Hands for our theme music. If you like what you heard, please hop on over to Bandcamp and check out more from them. Remember, your story isn't over yet. You're still here for a reason. This tragedy is just one of the spaces in your life, and there is life on the other side. You'll make it out alive. You know how I know? I did. Peace out. Hello, I'm Ann Harder. Central Texas Living has found a new home on the Rogue Media Network in a podcast. Join me each week as I talk to a new guest from our community that you may know or have always wanted to. We'll talk about exciting events, progress, changes in our little part of the world, and much more. And if you've got people you'd love to hear from on the podcast, just drop me a line at ann at roguemedianetwork.com. The show you've loved over the years on television is now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and we'll see you next time on Central Texas Living. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.